Hey, it's Jess, and welcome to the HeartStrong Podcast, where we figure out how to navigate the challenges in our lives. It's my personal mission to guide you towards your greatest potential. So come along with me as we explore living with courage, or as I put it, living HeartStrong. So on today's episode of the HeartStrong Podcast, we're talking about taking our power back and the agency that we have to choose our response to what happens to us. And I have two guests today, which is going to be really fun. I've never done this before. Carrie Kilty and Kelly Korchak. These two amazing women have quite a story to share. And I know that they're going to inspire you in whatever place you find yourself. So for the first part of the episode, Carrie will be here with me sharing her journey and what she's learning. And then we'll bring in Kelly for the, towards the end of the podcast so they can talk about what they're creating together to help others. So at 41, Carrie was diagnosed with stage four ovarian cancer about six years ago. And at that time, the five-year survival rate was 10% in five years. And here we are today, Carrie is thriving with her illness. And Kelly is an oncology nurse and Carrie's dear friend. And she's been alongside Carrie on this journey. And today, we're here to share what they've learned, um, how this has impacted them in their lives, and all of this is being put into a new book called A New Way to Do Cancer so that they can help others. So Carrie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me today, Jess. I'm super excited that you're here. I feel like this is going to be a really special episode. And, you know, I remember when you were diagnosed with cancer, I think it's, we're about the same age. I think I'm a couple months older than you. We share a backyard. So we've been in this space here for many, many years together. And it was after your surgery, I, I came over and we had coffee and you showed me your surgical report. I think you're like, oh, maybe you'll understand this. You've been through all these medical things or whatever. And I just remember like thinking, oh my gosh, I cannot believe everything that she's been through. I can't believe what they surgically did to you. Um, it, it just hit very close to home for me. And it just kind of took my breath away. I mean, because we're both yeah. Like I said, similar ages. We have kids similar ages. And and so I'm wondering if you could just take us back for a second to that experience. And, you know, like, I don't even know what the right question is really, but like yeah. what was going on in your Absolutely. mind and heart at that time? Well, I was 41 and I had an 11 year old and a 14 year old at home. So there's my why. I'll tell you that much. And um, I wasn't feeling great. I was making my rounds to the different doctors and just feeling off and, uh, you know, bloated, which was nothing new. I had been bloated for a long time. So, um, but, you know, when I got the, the diagnosis from a T CT scan and it, they said, you know, you have cancer before a biopsy, before anything, and it spread. So um, I ended up going to Mayo Clinic and it, and having this big surgery eventually. And it was bad. It had spread beyond the ovaries. It's ovarian cancer and it had spread beyond the ovaries and it was in um, the liver. It was in the intestines. It had spread beyond the abdom abdominal cavity into the belly button even. So I was full of cancer fluid. Um, I couldn't breathe. I had a PE in my lung and, um, you know, I needed all that stuff to be um, taken out. So I was cut from uh, pubic bone to breastbone, opened up and removed a lot of organs who knew you didn't need a lot of things there. you could still walk around this, this earth and and function so i'm six and a half years later without a spleen uh sigmoid colon resection no ovary cervix uterus obviously um part of the liver shaved off i have a surgeon that did a phenomenal job and gave me tons of extra time 
then they planted a um, port in my stomach and I had um, chemo poured directly over my abdomen to try to um, knock some of those cancer cells down. So I had a wonderful surgery. It got all the cancer out. But as you know, with cancer, we have these little things called uh, stem cells that are invisible to the eye that can't be seen. So um, the cancer has, you know, been back several times. And I think I haven't been in remission since 2020 or in 2023. And I've just been living pretty peacefully with cancer now. So it's been a journey, but um, I'm here, I'm doing it. I'm not saying it's easy, but um, I think it's been one of my greatest teachers and uh, one of the hardest things I've ever done. But I guess I realize humans are incredible and we can do hard things. Yes, we can. So you went through chemo and like you said, it was, it was a pretty brutal time physically for you too. It's, it's, you know of anyone that's done IP, IV chemo, IP stands for interperitoneal chemo. So I would get it in the veins as well as poured directly on the stomach. It is one of the toughest regimens. I, I am, you know, there's nothing really delicate about me. I'm a, I was a triathlete before I've run marathon, half marathons, and I'm, I've got a lot of grit and determination and it brought me to my knees and it was extremely hard. The, the point where you're shaking at night and the pain is so great. So I, I was able to finish it. A lot of people maybe make it through four months of it. I did six six months of it. And my surgeon said, I'm going to bring you to your knees with this chemotherapy to try to save your life. And so she brought me to my knees for sure. But um, And my life is preserved and I'm still here. But, um, you know, as much as we try, this cancer's tricky. So I, if I had a magic wand and I could save everybody on the planet with it right now, I would. But um, I don't. So I continue to fight just like everyone else. Yeah. So at some point you decided to kind of look into some other options for yourself and kind of to consider more of a quote unquote alternative path. So at what point in your journey did you start to get curious about some other options and researching them? And like what was happening within you where you're like, mm, I think I might need to look elsewhere to see if there's something that can help me. Well, I mean, as you know, and as you said, the statistics were not great. So looking at like, okay, in five years, if 90% of the patients doing standard of care are dead, I don't really accept that for myself. Like, how do I get into that 10% category and what's going to catapult me into that category so that I'm an outlier and I'm not in that 90% of patients that die? So you start, you know, using the internet. I mean, people say Dr. Google's a bad thing and I agree with that. But um, when you're using the internet to connect with like-minded people or figure out about studies or people that are um, surviving cancer, if you're using the internet to empower yourself, educate yourself and kind of um, things that are going to, you know, just help you live longer and with vitality. That has always been my thing. I, I believe, and I, as I know many people do, that we are spiritual beings and we do inhabit this body for a short time and we need to take care of it and nourish it and love it and do everything that we're supposed to. But while I'm in it, I want it to function just the way God intended for it to function. I want my legs and arms to work. I don't want to be in a wheelchair. I, I want... I want to truly navigate this this earth in a human form that works. And so all the things that I'm doing to try to preserve my immune system, to try to make me healthier are, are have been, that's the goal. Like, how do I exist in this world and fight cancer, but still, you know, do it on my own terms and not, you know, with neuropathy or bald or diarrhea running down my leg where I have no quality of life. So that's so the. Cool. 
when you were thinking, so, you know, I guess what you're saying, if I'm hearing you correctly, is that just going down a traditional chemo path would have not given you the opportunity to be in your body in a healthy way and to live in the way that you want to live while you're here. And on on my terms, so standard on your terms, if you only do standard of care, you will get standard results. And that's just unacceptable for me. I'm six. Mm -hmm. So this February, I'll be seven years strong. I mean, I just, I ran a 10 K in the spring with my daughter and my husband. So it's not like I'm just limping along, just making, I'm actually thriving. I did a three mile walkout at, you know, our local, um, forest preserve yesterday. So elevation, I'm, I'm living with vitality and health. And so I believe many of these, um, holistic programs that we do are, are very, very helpful too. And I, I'm not saying standard of care is not good because I use it. I'm saying standard of care and support your immune system in any way that you can. And I have lots of modalities that I, I use. So let's talk about the immune system just for a second, because for people listening, they might not completely understand that when you ha- when you get chemo, you're basically wiping out your immune system, yeah. but you actually need your immune system to fight cancer. So talk a little bit about that just so that people understand, you know, the balance that, that, that is needed and why some of these alternative, you know, quote unquote, I'm using air quotes for alternative, like approaches actually boost your immune system, which actually help you fight the cancer. Absolutely. So if we talk about just the basics of anybody's immune system, let's just say God gave you an immune system to fight things such as cancer and infections and bacteria. And when our immune system gets stressed or bogged down, it can't do what it was designed to do. And one thing that would stress your immune system would be chemotherapy. I say I have a love-hate relationship with chemo because I I know at times it's the it, I, I it's necessary and I need it to be able to, if my cancer burden gets too high. But if I used it continuously, then my God-given immune system to fight cancer would be obliterated. And and you often see people toward the end stages of just being in cancer continuously and their immune system compromised and they're, it's like lighting a fire on your cancer burden and it just takes off. So every single human being walking around on the planet develops cancer cells at some point. It's in all the literature in their bodies, but their immune system is there and it is designed to your next, your NK cells, your natural killer cells, your white cells. They go in there, they recognize it as such and they take care of it. Boom. They, they, your immune system can actually go in there, recognize cancer and take care of it. So um, when you're doing chemotherapy, chemotherapy is not targeted like an immune system. It doesn't go in there and say, oh, that right there is a cancer cell. We're going to take care of it. It goes for every cell in your body and it wipes out any fast growing cells. So you know, you're getting mouth sores, you're getting joint pain, you're getting low counts, you're getting, I mean, yes. So maybe you had one tiny little spot on my intestine, but my entire body is going to get wiped out. So for me, the goal has been, you know, there are lots of um, natural things that can help with uh, cancer stem cells. And this is something that you don't hear about in traditional oncology. But if you were to ask your oncologist, they would be honest with you. uh, Chemotherapy does not get the cancer stem cell. It's been described to me as like, let's say you have weeds in your yard and you, you know, you, you just pop the top of it off, but the root remains in there. So no visible sign that you still have weeds in your yard, a dandelion, but it's going to grow back because the stem is still in there. So 
that is chemotherapy is much like that. But there, ha it has been proven that there are lots of things, curcumin, uh, green tea, things that can get your cancer stem cells. So I really work really hard to train and incorporate. And I have a whole list of, I don't know, five or six things that, that target cancer stem cells. So I use those in supplements and shakes, that kind of thing, um, to try and just give me some, just a little bit of advantage. So I'm using traditional oncology, but I'm also using um, integrative approaches too. So, and I want to get to what those specific things are, but I want to, I first want to ask you when you decided to sort of take this a bit of a, you know, a, a different approach, you didn't go to stand, you wanted to go outside standard of care. Maybe that's the right way to say it. How did your doctors react to, to you, your family, you know, what was, what did that, what was that situation like for you in those particular relationships? I think initially you're quiet about it because it, it's not what everyone else is doing. So you're not really sure that, hey, you know, I've decided to try and synergize and use supplements and use, you know, food as medicine and all the, the things that are celery juicing. I dropped my one time by 30 points in three weeks just from celery juice. So I'm starting to use things that people think are voodoo and I'm kind of quiet about it because it's not normal. It's not standard of care. And um, you're also new and fragile doing this and you really the negative feedback from physicians or other people is not what you need. So you're going to go about in your mind and do what you need to do to be healthy. Because when you do bring that up to your doctors, that's not proven. That's And, and that's actually untrue. If you start doing PubMed studies and you look into things, there is science, there is research. It, it There's an entire movement that's there that you're not told about because it's it's not that they don't want to help you or, or help save you. It's not in their training. They don't know and thankfully, I have a wonderful oncologist here locally, and I was doing lots of different supplements, and he looked at it, and he looked right at me, and he said, I, I don't know about these supplements, and I don't know how they interact with things, but we have an, a, a really good integrative doctor, and she will know, so I'm going to refer you to her. So I got in what would have been a six-month wait with her. I got in within six weeks, and she has supported me, thankfully, and, and so the oncologist's sent me there. They work together in the same institution. So I'm very lucky that we collaborate. And um, to have that for, for an oncologist to actually admit that he doesn't know something was a gift, actually, like, rather than acting like I know everything. Because I also had one at a different institution that's affiliated with mine. A, a, an expert in my field is called a gynecologist oncologist. And he gave me three years to live. He goes, with the chemo regimen you're on, we're going to give you about 36 months. And that's, that's your life expectancy. And guess what? I fired him because I just thought, don't limit me. Don't tell me how long I'm going to live. And, you know, once, once your doctors take away that little piece called hope, it is really, really, really hard to look your expert in your cancer in the eye and say, I don't believe that for myself. I believe something better. And I believe God has a better plan for me than three years. It's hard. It is really hard to take on a medical establishment that's ingrained, that's all about this is the plan we have for you, and you can't deter from it because we're the experts. So taking back that power, I wouldn't say it was just overnight for me to say like, no, I'm going to stand firmly rooted. I got really quiet. I listened to my intuition. I connected with God. For, for you to stand strong and to really have a knowing that what's healthy for your body it's taking back power from a lot of people that have a lot of influence on you that are scared because they want you to survive that the only way they know 
for you to survive this mainstream medical treatment. It, it is. It, I'm not going to say it's an easy road to be here because uh, as a stage four cancer patient, you're already on the margins. You're on the fringes. And I am so grateful that I, I have so many friends that are right with me. But you're going up against an establishment and you're trying to get what you need from them and still respect and honor them, but still respect and honor yourself and what you need. And that's hard. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's also, you know, one thing that we talk about practicing medicine, right? Or practicing law or practicing and the optimal word is practice. Yeah. <laughs> and we don't, we don't hear that often because it's a practice. So you only know in a practice what you've experienced, any kind of practice in your life, you have to cultivate over time and you have to learn. And I think that such a powerful, you know, testament to that is that oncologist who's like, who kind of admitted that in a sense that he was practicing and there are things that he didn't know. I think what's hard in medicine is that we get people, especially where we're at the fringes or we're in a rare situation. It's like, they don't know, but they're, their like default is to be an authority, even on things that they don't know. And it's vulnerable to say, I don't know. And maybe you could, maybe we, I will learn with you. And so, you know, how did like, that takes a lot of, that takes a lot of courage just from you. I mean, to, to be in a vulnerable place and to speak truth to that power in love, which I know you do is, is really, it's a hard thing in life. And it, it, I would completely agree with that. It's very difficult. And for me, because I've done now, I've done traditional oncology and then I've added in the things that I need to support myself. But then I've also been to, um, I guess you, you call it integrative oncologist, which is not covered by standard insurance. But, um, so when you're in that collaborative environment where they're working so many different things other than chemotherapy, you're doing hypnosis, you're doing, um, you know, prayer, you're doing daily affirmations, you're doing so much more than just treating the cancer itself. You're looking at the human, the whole person. So I, this is the thing that everybody that has my cancer, we pretty much start with the exact same treatment. They look at your genetics, but 90 to 95% of all cancer is not genetic. So think of that five to 10% of people is what genetics, you know, every targeted therapy for genes help. So the other 95 or 90 to 95% of us, we do the exact same things, even though we have different home lives, we have different uh, ability to buy organic food, do things. on. I think it's a mistake to do the exact same thing for each cancer patient when we're totally different human beings. That tailored care is not happening in standard of care right now. They might look at genetics, but they don't look up geez, we really think you should have a counselor because um, this must be difficult to get a, a life-threatening stage four diagnosis. And I didn't have one single physician or doctor tell me one thing about, and your children are going to need one and your husband. And you're, we, we really think, you know, and we have one right here. We have a whole team of them right here on, on our oncology floor for people dealing with oncology. I think your mental health is probably the biggest place you could support somebody going through a cancer diagnosis or any kind of health crisis. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about that mental health component of it and kind of our mind body connection. Like at some point, you know, I, I remember just 
in all the conversations that we've had, it's like, you're like, this isn't just about my body. You know, this is a mind, body, spirit connection. And this is a whole, this is, I'm a whole person. I'm not just, you know, like you said, it's like, we're not just a, a cancer cell. We're a human being right. with all these things and, 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 and the stresses and the families and the stories that we have. And so talk, tell us a little bit about that realization that you have and how you've learned to support yourself and really see yourself as a whole human being, mind, body, and spirit. Oh, boy, oh, boy. How much time do we have? <laughs> well, for me personally, this has been the biggest journey. I never had done counseling before in my life. You know, that was for other people. And I guess the biggest gift of cancer is that I finally allowed myself for the first time to kind of dig into, you know, the whole pathology of what makes Kira Kilty, Kira Kilty. And that all the way back to your childhood. And rather than seeing this as a shameful thing, it's so beautiful to look at somebody and all their components and see all the different things that created them. And maybe we come to the table with dysfunction or things that need to be improved upon, but to look at a whole human being and everything that's created them is absolutely beautiful. So when we get created and things happen to us, sometimes we're running patterns and, and things from our family of origin that aren't healthy for us and that we may not even be aware of. So for me, it was like an onion and peeling back all these layers to get down to, you know, who I am, how I navigate life and how I can improve upon that so that I'm not um, adding additional stress emotionally, mentally to my, to my body. And so that I can hopefully at some point free myself from cancer. Now, I can't say that I've been freed from cancer, but boy, I've been free from a lot of things that have held me down. And I think that kind of the biggest gift for me is to see myself and all of me and love myself exactly where I'm at. So it's been a journey of developing and realizing uh, what a cool human being not only I am, but everybody walking this earth on their own path, on their own journey. And to also see all the dysfunction and all the things that, you know, the not good enough, the low self-worth, things I never would have thought about myself, the people pleasing, the things that, you know, your ego is there to protect you, but it, at some point it no longer serves you. So to be able to let it go and just to be vulnerable and to be in that space and be okay with that. Being, being able to ask for help was not something that was easy for me. But I think when you're as broken as I was and as sick as I was, I have 11 year old and 14 year old at two different schools. I had to be able to ask carpool for help. I had, the chemotherapy some days two days back to back I have a husband working I had to be able to ask for rides for people and meals for my family that is not something that comes easily for someone that's a pull yourself up by the bootstraps I got this and look how hard I could work well I worked so hard that I didn't honor myself or my body or things that you know slowing down it's like if you're tired you just set your alarm earlier you get your workout in earlier you have more coffee that day I was living so far out of alignment from what my body and soul really needed, that it's almost a gift now to be able to say, geez, before cancer, that was hard. And I don't need to live that way anymore. It doesn't serve me and it never did. And I think that living out of alignment, gosh, I mean, it's, it's something that I think a lot of people listening would say that if they're really honest with themselves, that a lot of us are living out of alignment and that it's hard to live in alignment in this culture that we have in the striving and the what a good mom does, you know, all the messages that we tell ourselves, like, what are some tools or ideas or like specific things that really helped you to 
like unravel this and see yourself as you are and give yourself permission, I guess, to, to shift and to change and to release some of those identities. When you have a life-threatening illness, it, it behooves you to let go of some of these things that aren't serving you. Because if I keep holding on to what a good mother looks like in my, in my own case, that wasn't serving my body personally. A good mother doesn't have to show up at every single, my kids were both in sports. And not only the year before I was diagnosed, not only were they in sports, but I was coaching both of them in teams. So I'm, you know, you're sitting not on the bench, but you're running practices, you're running schedules and I'm a stay home mom. So of course a stay home mom should be the one bringing the treats, coaching the kids, doing the, at the end of the day, I think I just read a study that a stay home mom works 95 hours a week. I did not honor that, you know, my husband might be working 50 hours a week. I would be like, oh, you worked all day. You need to come home. And I didn't honor that I was working 95 hours that week. So I would say even in my marriage, it's been a power struggle these last, you know, seven years almost for us to find a balance of like, you know, uh, what's fair in a marriage? What does that look like? And I'm, my husband's 57. I'm 48. We've been married 25 years. And that has changed and shifted over time. I mean, if you got married 25 years ago, most women that were married to men that are, are, are busy at the office, their lives looked like mine. It looked like groceries and laundry and da 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 And it looked like, you know, it looks different now. I have a sister that's 33 with two kids and her husband, it's, it's, things have changed. And I'm so grateful for this generation that they're figuring out that just because you're home doesn't mean that your time isn't valuable too. That's for me personally has been a journey. Yeah. And how do you think to kind of circle this back to cancer into, into the health of your physical body, how has kind of working through some of these things helped you feel physically different or, you know, how, how do you see those things together? Can you make any kind of correlation? Oh, absolutely. So letting go of, you know, some things that I thought a good mother and a good wife did letting go of that frees up your time and your energy. So when you have more time to just relax or be yourself or do things you truly enjoy, like, wow. Or even to just be able to delegate to your husband. Like, I don't have to write to the store. You can, he's completely competent, capable and and willing too. So some of the things that I carried personally, I didn't need to carry. He wasn't asking to. It was something that I felt, you know, as a stay home mom, this is what I should do. But being able to free up time because it is very time consuming to walk or get out in nature or try to do grounding or get some vitamin D or juice today or do healthy things. I, I found myself and I have to keep reevaluating constantly. Sometimes I get so busy that I forget to, oh, I've got to get in the infrared sauna today because I haven't done it in days or three days or I have to do, you know, I have to go in for an IV vitamin C today. Sometimes you get so busy being busy that you forget to take care of yourself. And I think that is common for all people, not just myself. Yeah. Yeah. But it's almost like your cancer is, is it, is a, I mean, a, you forcing you or in some people might say a quote unquote permission slip to take care of yourself. And I think what you're saying is you don't need cancer to have permission to take care of yourself. You, you can do that now. Absolutely. And I don't think anybody needs Unfortunately for me, it was a great excuse to start counseling, to take care of myself, to draw boundaries, to have, um, you know, it was, 
it gave me permission to do what I should have done 25 years ago and, and dug in and done counseling and done things that were healthy for myself. I, I might've had a different outcome. Maybe I would have never developed cancer had I had better boundaries for myself, things that I could tolerate, couldn't tolerate, um, asking for help when I need it, that kind of stuff. So yeah, I look at that now that I'm trying to, you know, if you could prevent cancer as opposed to trying to outsmart it once you have it. Oh man. So for everybody listening when you're overwhelmed, ask for help. Your husband's amazing. He loves you. He's going to help you. I mean, but to be vulnerable enough to say, I have more on my plate than I can handle is, is hard for a lot of people, especially people like me that we're, we're, we're driven hard. We're overachievers. We want to people please. We want to, but at the end of the day, it's developing my self-worth to say that I want to be here and live this life. So if I love my family and I want to be here for them and I want to be alive, I have to put myself first. And I, and I have a really hard time with this with because I'm a Christian and I believe in God, but um, self-care is not selfish. And I remember my, my counselor is a Christian counselor. And I remember saying, well, geez, that's not what we're taught. You know, we're taught to put everyone else's needs first. And that, you know, and she said, you can't give from an empty well. You know, you can't give your, you're on an airplane and the airplane's going down. You don't give your kid the oxygen mask first. You know, you, your oxygen mask first. So then you can put the oxygen mask on the people that you love. And I guess for me, it was a concrete, it would give me permission to, to, it's not even selfish to take care of myself, you know? And I think so many people are living so far out of alignment. They don't even realize that they're not taking good care of themselves. Are you getting eight hours? Are you getting, well, I don't have time to eat healthy right now. I don't have time to exercise. You hear so many people that don't have time to take care of themselves until it comes down to something like where I'm at, a cancer diet, until your body is screaming at you, you better take care of me. I'm not going to last. So, and I think that's the journey to, to try to figure out, gosh, how can we do this and live more peacefully before the diagnosis, before the wheels fall? <laughs> and for me personally, it was developing, realizing I'm worthy to take that time. I'm worthy to buy the organic food. I'm worthy to spend time on myself. It was coming into my self-worth enough, being able to stand up to my husband, who was in a position of authority, my doctor, just everyone in your family, just being, even your kids, like, this is what mom needs right now. I need you to make your lunch for tomorrow because I've got to go on a walk right now. And a good mother to me used to make her child's lunch. Now a good mother equips a child to be able to take care of themselves. And it looks different for me now. And it sounds cold and harsh, but it's actually the most loving thing that you can do is to allow people around you to be able to learn how to take care of themselves. And not because mom's sick, but because those are great life skills for them. Yeah. And I've learned a lot just from you about that. I think about that a lot, even with my boys. And I know, you know, even sometimes with my kids and I ask them to do things or to help, you know, I sometimes feel like their thing is, well, I have a disabled brother, so I have to do like they, they, they correlated that. And, and I, and I always tell them, I said, it's, it's not a punishment to be helpful in your family. It's cause this is a family and this is how we all work together. It's not because of someone else's problem. It's because this is how you're going to be a healthy human adult person in this world, a partner with somebody someday. Like, and I think that we don't, I mean, I feel like we could do a whole podcast on what a good mother is because I think that that Absolutely. is something that we need to rework big time in the culture that we live in. Hey, we're taking a little break because I want to invite you to learn more about the HeartStrong Collective, a nonprofit and social movement I created in 2015. This organization is on a mission to inspire people everywhere to be HeartStrong 
and we're giving back to support families in the long haul of raising kids with complex illnesses and disabilities. We're also investing in the next generation and we're trying to leave this place just a little better than we found it. You can learn more about us at theheartstrong.com. Oh, and while you're there, make sure you visit our shop and check out our Heartstrong merch. If you'd like to learn more about me, my coaching practice, or invite me to speak at your next event, you can visit me at jessicalindberg.com. Let's get back to the show. And I believe when you're a family with an illness, there's a lot of um, guilt that comes along. It's terrible for you. You don't want this for them. You wish better for them. And in fact, some of these, this is the gift of empathy. This is the gift of them learning about other people. This is actually maybe their superpower someday to say that we survived this and we, we've lived to adulthood and we went through some trauma as, as children. You know, I, I remember feeling perfectly healthy and watching TV with my kids one day and um, I was bald and went through chemotherapy and I looked terrible and I was skinny, but I felt good that day, you know? looking down at my daughter laughing at the movie and looking at her and, and she's 11 and kind of looked up at me like boy that's startling. it's still trauma to them to be in a household and just because I looked and felt well I realized when she looked at me she didn't see a mother that looked and felt well she saw a sick mother because I'm bald you know I'm sitting there and it would be a constant reminder to go to the bathroom and I felt great that day and going to the bathroom you looking oh god and it's trauma for you all over again gosh, I'm dealing with this because you get in your life and you feel good that day and you want to pack it away, but it's staring at you in the mirror a lot. So, yeah, it is. Yeah. So I want to, I want to get into like some of the specifics of things that you've done personally, because I think that that will lead us into like the work that you and Kelly are doing together, but nutrition has been a big focus of your care. And so I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about nutrition and then like some other modalities. I think you said there were six things that you've integrated or something that just to give people sort of some some specifics that they can even like research if they're curious about it. Um, and just that you feel like it was really, you know, practically helped you as you're working through this journey. Absolutely. So exactly what you said, when you take your power back, when you, instead of giving it all over to your oncologist and say, well, this is what they told me, you come home and you get a mindset and you say, I think I'm competent and capable and I can do this. I have so many people that are like, Carrie, I couldn't do what you could do. And I think you're right because you don't believe in yourself. If you say that right now, you don't even have cancer. If you get it and you feel defeated already, I just want to let people know they can believe in themselves. They are competent. They are capable. They can do this. So yeah, the number one thing that I did was nutrition. I mean, when you think about how often your cells regenerate and what they need in terms of energy to survive and grow, if you're feeding your body juice, that's just, when you juice or when you blend that those nutrients are more readily available to your body. You don't have to di digest it. It's just juice floods right into your intestines. It's like a blood transfusion. So I have adapted um, juicing, blending shakes in a blender, all kinds of great colorful vegetables that just go through there, even fruits. I believe in all of it. So um, that's the first piece that I started doing. I started doing nutrition and then you start feeling good too. So once you start feeling good, you're like, wow, I can do this. You get a little confidence. Your numbers are, are looking better. You're feeling better, even having chemotherapy. Um, and I will tell you that is something traditional oncology does not touch. Um, most medical doctors do not have any um, or very, very little, maybe one or two classes in nutrition. And I believe food as medicine is important. So 
Um, and they don't tell you that. When I was at chemotherapy at, at my experts at UW-Madison here, not too far from where we live, they served me warm cookies on the chemo ward. And it wasn't like, here's an apple to help with all these good, wonderful, life. it was warm cookies because when I talked to the chemo um, pharmacist at a later point in time, she said, you know, well, we just think we want to make our patients comfortable while they're here. And I was like, oh, I'd rather be empowered to make changes to live longer than to slowly die in comfort is how I feel. So when people say I couldn't make those changes or I don't want to give this up or I don't, I honor that if that's really where you stand, that you would prefer to eat cookies or McDonald's than, than to survive. And I have to say, everybody gets to navigate this life and make their own choices. And I honor you right where you're at. I personally believe that if you want to survive cancer and you want to thrive through it, you, there's a lot at your fingertips that you can do. And number one is nutrition. The, the research is out there. Healthy fruits and vegetables, people. It's it's amazing you can do that. So that's where I started with nutrition. And then the other thing is you got to get your body moving every day. And I'm not saying marathons. I was so far out of alignment. There's oxidative stress on your body that's too much when you do things like run 26.2 miles. You are living out of alignment. I am talking about getting outside, walking in nature, listening to the birds. It's healing. It's therapeutic. It's wonderful. I'm get that lymphatics moving. I have a little mini tramp that's good for um, the lymphatic system. So they call it rebounding. Another thing, you don't have a rebounder and your knees are good and you're healthy like I am. Jumping jacks are so good for your lymphatic system. So your lymphatic system is where a lot of your immune system lies. And when you're sick with chemotherapy and you're laying around and you don't, some days you really don't feel like moving. You have to honor that. On a day you feel like, I feel good today. I want to go to the grocery store, get moving, get walking at the grocery store. Get out and do things that are good for yourself. I, I mean, depression's one thing, but um, physically unable to move is another. So it's, you have to understand, am I depressed today or do I, is my cancer got me down where I really can't move? And on the days I wouldn't try to move. I would honor my body and listen. But on the days someone said, you want to go on a walk? Maybe I'm feeling like, oh, I don't know if I can do it. And I feel great once I'm done because it was more of a depression. It was, it was not the body. It was the mind. Um, definitely moving your lymphatic system. Uh, it helps so much. So getting out, exercising, drinking water. I wouldn't, you wouldn't even believe this, but my oncology appointment two weeks ago, she said, Carrie, we can't, the nurse said we spent 50% of our last staff meeting try, trying to figure out how we can get our um, patients to drink water. Water. That's it. So they don't want to give up Coca-Cola, sugary drinks. When you're getting chemotherapy, you're getting toxic stuff. It's like a you feel like you're hungover. So if you went out and you drank too much the night before, the next day you're not going to say, give me all the sugary, nasty drinks. Chemotherapy is a toxic dump to your body. You want to flush it out. Just like if you were hungover, you'd be like, I need some water, get some electrolytes. I want to flush my kidneys, my liver, everything that's being processed through my body needs to be cleaned out. So water is simple, pure water. High pH water is great if you can think of that. So um, those are just basic things. Now, if you want to add in other things, I bought an infrared sauna to help me sweat. Sweating gets rid of toxins too. So you got to look at your toxins. I grew up on a, a small farm, so glyphosate was all around me. And um, glyphosate's been a known carcinogen. So being able to say, okay, I want to detox at a deep cellular level for me, that helps. 
and for many people, I, I have many other cancer patients that don't do infrared sauna. And we have at our local health club, you can go sit. It's not infrared, but you will sweat and it's great. And most people have access to that. Also getting outside on a hot day and walking, if you sweat, it's good for your body. So um, other things that I do, I sit in a hyperbaric chamber. Um, oxygen is, is life. We all need it to breathe. So when you oxygenate those tissues and those cells, it helps combat cancer. It helps. And you just feel incredible too. So I'll do, um, I have a port right here and uh, it gets access and you can do uh, chemotherapy through that port, get blood work through your port, but you can also, when you have it in, you can get um, vitamin infusions. So I went to an integrative clinic um, and that's one thing that they did every week. They give you vitamin infusions too while you're chemotherapy. So integrative cancer care is the best of both worlds. That means we honor traditional medicine and traditional oncology and we use all the things that the research has found. But then we also do more than that so that our outcome can be better than the standard. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think those are things that, you know, those of us who don't currently have cancer can implement in our life too. Like we can be healthier, whole humans, like right now, like right today, right? We don't need to wait. We don't need a cancer diagnosis to give boundaries and limits over what we can handle and what we can't handle. I, I have a girlfriend, we were having lunch and I love her to pieces and she is, um, a stage four breast cancer, been in remission for six years now. And she was talking about her daughter stressing her out, her grown daughter, you know, and she was saying, I don't need this stress. I have metastatic cancer, breast cancer. And I said, actually, Lisa, you don't need cancer to allow you, you don't need this stress period because you're a human being walking this planet. You deserve love and respect, but you don't need the excuse of cancer. You can let that go. And you have been in remission for six years. So don't need to hide behind. I have cancer. Treat me well. I have cancer. Give me what I need. I navigate this world as a beautiful human being and deserve love and respect and bound. And, and I have boundaries for what I will and will not handle. So that has been kind of the journey for me personally. Cancer gave me the excuse or the reason to figure out a lot of these things, but I don't need you anymore, cancer. I know what's healthy for me now. So please. Bye-bye. I'm done with you. <laughs> you can leave now. Yes, exactly. But I think that's the journey. We don't need the of cancer or an illness or anything. We, we need to do what's healthy for ourselves. And we don't, people don't have to like it. And, and you don't have to be a people pleaser. Like, this is my boundary with your family members, with your mother-in-law, with your husband, with your grown children, because this is what's healthy for me, you, our relationship, period. Not because of cancer, not because of anything. I want to be treated, and that's the other thing. I want to be treated like a normal, healthy human being and be in relationship with people in a healthy way. I don't want to be, oh, we have to treat her differently because she has cancer. And that in many ways because I still grocery shop, get out, I do things. But then I'm still able to say, like, I can't handle that today. What I need is just a break. And I never had that before. Yeah, you never gave yourself permission or even knew maybe that you could. And I think that's... That right there, what you just said, most people don't understand that without a diagnosis, you still have permission to get what you need and do what's healthy for yourself. We just don't allow it or give ourselves that. It's girl, boss, look at me. Um, you know, I've taken on the world. But what about like just saying showing up beautifully as your imperfect self is good enough? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's hard for us who are strivers, right? And it's such a important lesson. So kind of as we wrap up and before we bring Kelly on, I want to talk just a little bit, you mentioned it is about identity. So, you know, we have things happen to us in our lives or for us and, and, and then we can just glom onto this identity. And I think that there is something about that that serves us. We do need to embrace what has happened to us. We do need communities of people, right, who have common experiences to help us. But this has been a big thing for me, like even with, you know, having a disabled son. I I think there are a lot of women who really identify as like a quote unquote special needs mom or mom of a sick kid. And as time has gone on, that's something that I'm, I'm less and less interested in. I'm more interested in this is who I am. This is what I, who I'm becoming. This is, the portal or the, the opportunity that got me here, but this is not my identity. Um, talk a little bit about how you're thinking about identity in terms of, you know, your diagnosis, but just then in terms of all the things that you have, you know, all the things that you're doing, like all the beauty that you're becoming, um, how do you see yourself? Like, what do you, what is your identity today? Well, I say that a lot because sometimes, you know, in the cancer community. And I, and I'm so grateful to share so much space with so many people that, you know, are, are in a really tough spot going through newly diagnosed, been doing it a long time. And once you get to a, a stage four diagnosis, it's a really heavy spot, but I would say it's a beautiful friendship and it's a beautiful place to meet people. And I'm just, I'm honored to be in that space with them. I will say sometimes people over identify with their di- diagnosis. And that has been something for me that you know, I don't want to just be Carrie who has stage four cancer. I'm still a wife and a mother and a friend and a daughter and an aunt and a sister. And I have so many roles that I play. And cancer is one of the things that I do. I'm on Instagram, Carrie doing cancer. And I've teased so many times. I'd like to change that to Carrie doing life because in reality, I do cancer, but I try to keep my cancer small and my life big. because I don't want to be all about cancer. I mean, that's just, that's not who I am. I'm all about like, how do we, I've heard you say, step into our gifts. How do we step into our gifts that I think I never even realized I had them until cancer. I never even realized like I was doing really hard stuff prior to cancer, but so that kind of primed before, okay, I can keep doing really hard stuff. It's under a different guise and a different, but you don't even realize how much you're carrying as a quote unquote healthy stay home mom. You're carrying and you're juggling a lot. And then once you get cancer, it gives you permission to kind of put some of those things down and step into those gifts. And it feels whole and it feels right. And it feels beautiful too, at the same time, just stepping into that. And I would say for me personally, it's stepping into my own power and, and, and taking that back from people that I inadvertently gave it to. Like, I, I think, you know, we forget that as an oncologist, you're paying that person. This is not a service. This is not, you, they're not volunteering to help carry care. I'm paying really good money to get your expertise. And if you want to pay money to several different people and get the best plan for yourself, that's okay. Don't feel bad. Get what you need from that doctor. They always say a noisy patient is a patient that survives longer. So if you go in there with your list of questions and why are we doing that? And is this really good? And I saw that this causes bowel perforation and tell me if they're not going to like it always, but you're an informed patient. So you need to go in there and say, doctor, I thank you. Let's collaborate. You're not against them. You're not adverse to them, but you need to be a partner with them. You don't put all your care in them and say, 
they are God, they are going to heal me. God might be working through them, using them to connect you, to help heal you, but you're part of the equation too. You can't just say, well, my doctor said I didn't have to give up, you know, sugary foods. Maybe your doctor didn't tell you, but maybe if you get quiet and you listen to your intuition, you know, sugary drink after chemo, only drinking Coca-Cola, a diuretic of coffee is probably not going to help me clear this, make my liver and kidneys last through this chemo. You have to get quiet and listen to yourself to know what's healthy for you. That intuition that I think we all have, but we kind of give that away to other people. Yeah. Yeah. So you have two daughters. They're amazing young yeah. women, um, just successful, beautiful, just you've raised them so well. You know, they're both in college now and, you know, you've you've gone through this journey with them as they've sort of been in their very formative teen years, really. What do you want them most to know as they grow up into adulthood as women? Like, what is your hope for them? Oh, there's so much. I love this because after having been through everything that I've been through and kind of had to redo and relearn how I navigate life as a mother and a human being, I realized I had a lot of codependence and, um, gosh, you want so much for your kids. But what I really want at the end of the day is um, for them just to know they're loved exactly the way they are. They don't have to achieve or strive or, you know, jump over hoops or, or get straight A's. They just have to, they're worthy of love safely where they're at. And if they want to do those things for themselves, because that honors who they are inside, that's wonderful. But the world is going to tell you, you have to do these things to be noticed or and I just disagree with that. I disagree with that completely. So for them, I want them to, to follow their own path and to be true to what works for them. And um, I'm so proud of both of them where they're at. And they have grown as human beings because of everything that they've been through and that we've seen. And I guess as a mother, you don't always know when they're 11 and 14. And I've had so many girlfriends that never got to see the things that I'm getting to see, the milestones. I, it was such a goal to get both of my kids off to college and my youngest is 18 and just now away at school for the first time. And so uh, as mothers, we know that it's so big for us, right? And so now it's kind of like, this is my turn. Like it's the whole goal of why we do what we do as mothers to get them onto their big girl journeys, you know, and having been able to see it and support them through, I'm just eternally grateful. And I want them to know um, strong women and strong families, you know, get through almost anything no matter what life throws at you you've got this yeah I love that I love that so I want to bring Kelly into the podcast but before we do just prime a little bit for our listeners about what you two are up to and you know how you know why it's so important to you to do this work that you're doing together well, since Kelly is an oncology nurse, and of course, you know, God has blessed me with good people all around me to get through this journey. Um, we have, she would see patients and she, we, she and I would collaborate and talk and we know there's just such, you can navigate this and you could do this with a lot more ease. If you could just, we kind of have called this a quick start guide. It's not going to be this expensive with, but here are some things on a daily basis that you could do to empower yourself, to navigate this journey, to get what you need. And um, just to also believe in yourself that you can get through it. So um, Kelly has so much information from the other point of view, which is so helpful for me too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's get ready to welcome Kelly into the podcast. Hi, Jess. Hi, Kelly. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad that you're here. 
So Carrie set up a little bit before that you all are working on writing a book together. Yep. A new way to do cancer, I think is your working title. Obviously that might change, but I would love to like, I want to bring in your perspective because Carrie's been a patient obviously, and you're her dear, dear friend, but you're also an oncology nurse and you have worked in major health systems for your career and you've had your own brush with cancer. And so it's like bringing the whole, I love what you're doing because it's like bringing both sides of the pieces together, right? The medical component and the patient component. So I'm wondering if you can like start out by telling us when did you start looking at the way that we're treating cancer and thinking, hmm, maybe there's a little bit of an adjustment that we need to make here. Um, And like, how did you kind of notice, start noticing that? Yeah. So probably when Carrie was in remission, um and really started to first of all have more time she was feeling better and started to research these different things i shifted from working in the breast health center with women who are um, being diagnosed with breast cancer into the cancer center uh, working in radiation oncology and um, i was really fortunate to work with two amazing providers very kind who did spend a lot of time with their patients but after speaking with carrie and um just kind of seeing things she had incorporated into her life to kind of make healthy changes. I started to notice the patients that were not thriving and the patients that were. Um, I don't know that I know any patient who has done um, everything Carrie has or to her level or or be as consistent as she is. Um, But there were some, you know, part of a, a visit for somebody to come in you know, you're reviewing their medications. And I started to take, no, oh, Carrie takes this. Carrie takes this. This person is doing really well. And I also started to change my dialogue with my patients from maybe more of a surface level to a little bit deeper. Um, Granted, that didn't happen with every patient. You know, it's just like sometimes you really connect with certain people, but they started to respond. Um, And so I just started to ask more questions. Notice I started to having different conversations with the providers I work with, like, can this hospital get this? You know, she's going to a hospital that has integrative. We don't. I really think this is a mess. Um, so it, I really started paying attention probably right around then. And then what was the reaction to your colleagues to to those when you said something like, oh, you know, could we get integrated care for this patient? Or I'm noticing this. How did they respond to you? Um, mostly, honestly, insurance won't cover it. So that was really frustrating for me because I just do not feel that um, it, I don't feel like oncology care for the most part, not everywhere, but for the most part um, is comprehensive. And I I think that's a huge miss and um, we're not really serving them the way that we need to be. Yeah. So, you know, I didn't get this into this real deep with Carrie, but, you know, she's made different choices for her care. Right. And so a lot of the things like getting IV vitamin C is pretty inexpensive, right? It's a lot of the things that she's doing are not these massive medical expenses and which she has to take on herself because she's not being offered that in traditional care. But it, but it's like, we're, it is a missed opportunity to provide people with, you know, a a plethora or a menu of options that really in a sense, aren't that expensive, right? It's like, they're not, that's not the deal breaker part of it. Right. I think there's different levels. Um, and I also think there's different levels of, of what patients are willing to do. You know, Carrie dove in and there are a lot of patients who want this information, you know, like, tell me about what your friend is doing. Um, 
And I think people need to be invested in their own health care. I think they need to advocate for themselves. And um, it really, I think I would love to see it shift with providers opening up the dialogue even more. Like I said, I was very fortunate um, to be to be working with some really kind providers, but they're not trained with certain things, right? It's like this, like, this is the standard of care. This is what we're offering you. But I believe when somebody is diagnosed um, with cancer, especially a very advanced diagnosis, I feel like they should be given a cancer coach, a nutritionist. And I know they have nutrition consults for oncology patients, but I don't know that they're really getting the most healthy information. You know, I think sometimes um, when people are going through chemo, it's very just calorie focused because they lose so much weight. And I understand that you want them to get the healthiest calories possible. And, you know, when I talk about different levels of things patients can do, of course, yes, organic would be the best, and but that's more expensive, right? So people then tend to be, well, I'm just not, I can't do organic, so forget it. No, go buy fruits and vegetables. You know, you can buy things on sale. That's better than nothing at all. Um, you know, staying hydrated, moving, a lot of things are free. You know, Carrie has red sauna. I have an infrared sauna blanket, which is at a much, you know, lower price point, but that's And I love it. I love it so much because it's just peace. Um, they can meditate, you know, insight timer is one of my favorite meditation apps. It's free. So, you know, I would tell patients about that. So I think there's a lot of things that, um, that people can do, but I feel like providers can also, and institutions can provide a lot more for patients than they are. Well, it's also, I mean, it goes back to training, right? It goes back to the fact that we're probably not training people and I'm not at all an oncology expert, but even in other areas of medicine that I am involved with, with my kids and have been, we're really not training our medical people in holistic human care, right? right? We're kind of, we're still in that siloed sort of, you know, body part <laughs> way of, of thinking. And I think that you know, just even since I've been aware of, of Carrie and everything she's gone through and everything that you're doing, I feel like I'm noticing more in the world of people that are patients that are asking, saying, we need to take care of our whole selves. Yeah. And I, I wonder if you, do you think that, I mean, I feel like this is probably going to take longer than most people have, but is that shifting? Is that mentality shifting in the oncology world? At least are people starting to, to think differently? Or do you feel like we're still at the beginning of stages of that? I think it depends on the institution, um, and I can only speak to my experience and really what Carrie has shared with me. Um, I believe wholeheartedly that, you know, these providers go into oncology to do good, right? do no harm, but they don't have the access. They can't offer these patients. It's not like they're withholding. They either haven't had the training or they don't have somebody who works in that department or the institution even who they can say, let me refer you to this person. So I really feel like it belong. It has to start at that administrative level. Recruit these people, and then they need to create this multidisciplinary um, team for the cancer patients. You know, when you get a diagnosis, sometimes pathology is a little bit wishy-washy. They have a tumor board, and you have breast, you know, breast surgeons. You have plastic surgeons who are doing reconstruction. You have the nurse navigator, medical oncology, radiation oncology. They all come together. I think that they would benefit from a cancer coach, nutrition, like integrative. Those would be huge 
they should have access to something for their emotional and mental well-being. Also, you know, they used to do things like that, and then everything got shut down. Um, I believe with COVID, I don't know how much is back yet, but, you know, the mindset of a cancer patient is paramount for their And I also feel like um, insurance may dictate what institution you can go to. However, there are most of the time a few providers there. As a patient, you have a choice. And I used to tell my patients this, you know, if you don't care for your provider, you feel like that's a block for you, or they don't believe in your healing, switch. Right? You have that choice. It's your journey. So, yeah. 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 I think that that's, I think that's a big one. It, it It's like, we're not trained also as patients in this world right. to own our health and healthcare. Mm-hmm. It's like we, we do give so much of that power away. And I don't think anyone even thinks that they're doing it. It's just something that's sort of been ingrained into, you know, and obviously physicians are incredible humans, but we've also elevated them yeah. in our culture to a place where they're not human beings practicing medicine, learning, right? They are, they have an authority and I'm not saying that they don't, but I think that there's, there's a, it's a nuanced thing, right? And so I think the message of this podcast is that you have power, you have authority in your life. You need to take control of your health and your well being, and, and find out what's right for you so that you can ask for what you need. And if, and if your doctor doesn't have it, you can go look for it somewhere else. Like you are an empowered person to do that. Yeah. And so I just want to ask you, you know, as a nurse, as a friend, and you've watched Carrie, and I know you've had your own brush with cancer and are with these patients, you know, all the time. And and I know you're not in that clinical role currently, but like, what changes have you made to your own life or into your own, you know, nutrition or kind of how, how has this impacted you personally? Yeah. I mean, nutrition, I've always eaten pretty well. I think I've definitely upped that. You know, my daughter, Emma, as you know, has uh, severe food allergies. So we really, as a family, ate a lot healthier than a lot of people because she was allergic to a lot of the junk food, you know, and she's allergic to all those cookies, crackers. So we had already had kind of a healthy lifestyle, not by choice, but we had to. And I had made that decision as a mom to really make our house a safe place because everywhere outside was not safe for her. Um, you know, and she's 19. So 19 years ago, 18 years ago, when she's diagnosed with it, they didn't have all these options, dietary that they, you know, now it's a little bit easier for her. So I always ate pretty well, I feel like. Um, and I have my sauna blanket. I would definitely do meditation. Um, but I think the biggest thing that Carrie has taught me is really to let go, you know, lived in fear a lot. I was a big worrier. And that just does not serve anyone. And I know when you get a cancer diagnosis, you know, you have a lot of fear. So it's very difficult for people. By no means are Carrie and I trying to say, oh, hey, this is just super easy to do. Let go of that fear. You know, maybe choose a different provider and start moving. They are in the middle of a crisis. You know, that's very scary. A lot of people have young children you know, a spouse, a family, or maybe just themselves that they are just have a lot of fear. So she's really to kind of let go. And, you know, I personally am a Christian. So I give when something's too big for me, I just hand it over. God, you need to take this because I can't do this today. And when you really make a habit of that, it's, it's free. You know, there's nothing that I can do by worrying that 
um, God is not going to handle himself, you know, and I'm not saying everyone's going to be cured either, but just give them the power to navigate their journey. So I feel like I have a lot more peace in my life and, um, she's taught me to be very present. You have had a, had a big role with both of those things as well. Cause obviously friends for so long. So I watched you two and listened to the conversations and seeing the changes. Um, and I just feel like, you know, we travel. Carrie and I traveled. We've been to France. We've been to Ireland. We've been to Oregon. These are since her diagnosis. Or I would have put that off or no, you know, what if something happens on the flight? I live my life, not reckless, you know, but I'm really grateful for um, opportunities and I take them. Yeah. Like life is for living regardless of where we end up. Right. I think sometimes when we, you know, even in the, in the health component of our lives, it's like, we're waiting until like our our whole life until this happens, until I get healthy, until, you know, this, I make this money until I have this house until my kid graduates. And it's like, I think your message is like, embrace yourself, you know, own your health, take care of yourself, but live your life. I think that's the other thing that Carrie, I really have gotten from her, you know, is that is to live the fullness of our lives in whatever capacity we can in the moment that we can today. And it's a choice. I feel like, and I think a lot of people who maybe have hit rock bottom, you know, I've hit my rock bottom, not with a cancer diet. I had a very early cancer diagnosis. Yes. I had bilateral mastectomies. I went through the surgical procedures, but I did not have to, you know, have treatment, but I, I get divorced. That's hard. It's hard on my family, my children, and I really feel like, okay, well, I have a choice here. Do I build my life or do I sit in this? And I, I chose to hap- I chose happiness, you know, but I, but I, but I did choose it. Yeah. And we all get that choice, right? We all get to decide yep. you, whoever's listening right now, you get to decide what's your next step, you know, and maybe it's today, like you can just get out and take a walk in the sunshine. Cause that's all you have the energy to do. But the point is, is that you get to decide the next step of your story. You get to decide, you know, what to do and who to pull in your circle. And so before we bring Carrie back and kind of wrap up and talk a little bit about the book, I think the other piece that I've learned from just listening to you and Carrie, it's like in who we surround ourselves with is such a big part of our health journey, right? Yeah. So it's the physicians that we choose. It's the friendships that we choose. It's the, you know, the faith community that we choose. Like all of these things are really important for our well-being. Can you speak to that a little bit? Just like, it's not just the medical component, right? It's the people that it's, it's the energy with which we live and move in our lives. Yeah. I mean, I think you want to try and be around people who are positive and I'm not talking Pollyanna positive, you know, cause everybody life kicks in. Right. I think, um, for people who are going through a cancer diagnosis, it's really important to honor how they're feeling. So if you have friends who that you can talk to lean on, know they want to help you you know they really do give them that opportunity don't take that from them um and i i really think laughing is all laughing is the best medicine ever carrie and i have had a million conversations you and i've had a million conversations there's been tears but there's been like belly laughing it's my favorite thing to do um and i feel like it just heals people you know surround your people surround um people who give you joy and that's a big part of just really being happy in your life. 
I I agree. Yeah. I agree. And it's and yeah, it's that conscious choice to do that, which is a reminder to me today to yeah. do that after I get off this podcast and when I'm going to be like, ah, my kitchen is dirty. Right. <laughs> to be grateful for, you know, maybe your is clean or, oh, I'm just, my house is a mess, but I'm going to get a hot cup of coffee, you know? So. Amen. That's so true. Sure. So you're, you and Carrie are writing a book together and I want to talk as we kind of wrap up a little bit about this is very exciting. And what I love about this and why I wanted to bring both of you on separately and together is that, you know, at the Heartstrong Podcast, we want to sort of model for people what you do with your story. We often can't control what happens to us in our life, but we can always control what we do with it. We always get to own that piece. And your stories today are such an amazing manifestation of owning your story. And you did it. And so everyone listening, you can do it too. You know, that everyone has the power to, to own their story. And so you've had these experiences, you've changed your lives, you've navigated, um, you know, your careers and your healthcare, and now you're writing a book. So tell us about this book, what you're hopeful it will be. I know you're at the beginning stages of it, but um, I just love that you're taking this next step. I, I think mostly it's about, you know, choices. First of all, that you have the power to choose. And also we're going to kind of lay out different things that you can do to help yourself along the way. Um, and it's really a comprehensive approach to a cancer diagnosis. And really, this would apply to any illness. This applies to your life. You know, you don't have to be sick to read this book. You don't have to have a cancer diagnosed, cancer diagnosis. Maybe it's autoimmune. Maybe it's something like that. These are just all things, you know, this mind, body, spirit type of approach to healing because that has such your mindset is, is everything. So um, I think really that's what we're trying to lay out. Yeah. And not only own your story, like you said, Jess, but write your own story. It's not your, your oncologist doesn't write it for you. Your, your kids don't write it for you. Your spouse, your, your hardships don't write your story. You do. It's what you do with it and, and your mindset and the way you navigate life after the wheels fall off. I mean, that's, you have choices every day. I have a choice to wake up and be, oh, woe is me, or just to be, look at the gratitude. Oh my goodness, thank goodness I have health insurance. Thank goodness I have people. I mean, if you start doing a gratitude practice, it is really hard to be have a negative mindset when you're in this really positive space of gratitude. It's so true. The it's so true. Connection is so powerful. Yeah, it's everything. Yeah. So the book is going to be navigating. Are you going to give specific ideas to people? I mean, I know it's not medical advice, but are you going to kind of give specific, you know, uh, tips that you think that people could follow, you know, where, how, like how specific are you going to get? And when do you think it might be in the world? I would say, yes, we are going to do that. Not, um, some things will be a little bit more general, like we'll tell her to go for certain things, but they'll definitely things that Carrie has, you know, adapted along the way that I have in even just my life practice. Um, so people, it's something tangible for them to, you know, not just a, Hey, go research this. We are going to lay things out for sure. Um, and we're hoping sometime 2024. Yeah. And also, um, a lot of the things that we want to put in there are free for people. It doesn't cost a lot of money because I know a lot of people are, um, mindful of their budgets. However, I will say if you have a stage four diagnosis, if you're looking at your life being cut short, I have known so many people that have saved and saved for retirement and don't want to touch retirement to save their own life. I would say if you have a stage four diagnosis, they're, they're not giving you a lot of time and you've got a five or a, a 
uh, retirement account, now's the time to crack into that. Some things you need because you're working to spend your own money so that you can be here longer. And if you had to work at retirement age, guess what? You're alive and work amazing. But you made it to that point. So also planning the self-worth to spend the money that you have. And I find that's the journey for many of us cancer patients. They have it, but they don't want to use it on themselves. Well, I'd rather give it to my grandchildren when I die than use it now to stay alive. I wanted to give them something. But I was thinking, please, but the gift of your presence in your life and you being there for them is more than enough. That is what they really want. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and what generational impact are you having by being here and going through this and teaching them, right? Way more than the impact of money. Absolutely, 100%. Yeah. But that's the journey. That's the journey. It is. So I'm wondering if you, and we can put this in the show notes, but if you would maybe each share like a podcast or a book or something that you have are really listening to currently or really enjoying that you think people could take advantage of. And we'll put that in the show notes, more of them. But if you could just share a couple things, I think people are going to listen to this and say, what can I do? What can I sink my teeth into? I would say, first off, you get the diagnosis. You don't even have time to hit Amazon or anything. You go to your Netflix and you or your Amazon Prime. And there's one called Heal mm-hmm. and by Kelly Noonan Gores. It's a documentary. Yeah. And it's you know, everything that you need to know about healing in there. And then there's another one called the C word cancer. And it's so much information on diet, lifestyle, statistics. And those are things that you can sit with a loved one and um, they will not make you feel terrible. You will be empowered to do what's right for your body. Yeah. And I feel podcast also. I'm not to that because I have listened to it already. And some of her guests on there, you will just then follow them also. And I just think, gosh, um, but you'll get a lot of information and really empowering and talks a lot about that mind, body, spirit connection. So, and the integrated oncologist, uh, Dr. Seagal that I went to, he does the cancer secrets podcast, which is gets into the little nuances of tiny, you know, if you're going to do this or that. So once you get into the really specifics of cancer, he's a, a an oncologist that's integrated work. So, um, if you want a broad overview and you're just diagnosed, I would say the film, it's much easier. But once you've been yeah. on the journey a while, go to podcasts that are going to get specific. Okay. Or both. We'll, we'll add those to the show notes too. So as we kind of wrap up today, I want to end with this question for each of you. Um, and I ask all of my guests this question, but you know, the podcast is about how we grow through the challenges of our, of our lives. And I'm personally curious about that because I'm always trying to figure out how to do it. But it's like, who do we become and what are we going to create from the heartaches that we witness around us and the adversities that we personally face? And so my question to each of you, and I'll start with you, Kelly, is that what is more beautiful about Kelly because of the challenges that you face in your, in your life? Like, what do you really like about yourself because of what you've come through? Oof. That's a hard one. Um, I think that, like I mentioned earlier, I think when, you know, you hit rock bottom, when I hit my rock bottom, it's how are you going to really rebuild your life? And is it something that you can be proud of? Is it something that your children can be proud of? Um, And I really feel like I've done that. It's taken years. And then also, like, then I started to kind of, first it was like, okay, let's pick yourself up here. How do you want Oh, really? And that's hard. It's hard to look in the mirror sometimes and be like, this is not how I envisioned my life. What role did I play in this? How am I going to shift this? Right. And what do I want to create? 
and I feel like I've done that. And, um, you know, with my very early brush with, with cancer diagnosis, when I went back to work, when my kids were old enough, I wanted to do something with oncology. And I did, I worked with breast cancer patients for five years when they were being diagnosed. Then I went to, um, you know, the cancer center and now I work for a genetics company in oncology. Um, and I've helped a lot of people around the community. Um, and I love that. That feels really, really good. Um, and I think, you know, I had a discussion with my son a couple of years ago and he said, you know, mom, um, my favorite thing about you is that every day you get up and you try to be better than you were the day before. And I just thought, okay, I'm doing, you know, so I would say for me, that's, that's my answer to that. Well, I guess for me, it's been a journey of, of loving, accepting myself and honestly coming into my own self-worth. So navigating the world um, differently than I had before with that new knowledge of just how beautiful everyone is right where they're at. And, you know, not striving to accomplish things to have, you know, a bunch of initials after your name or awards or anything, but just to, to, to create space and love people exactly in the mess, in the muck, right where they're at, just for them to know you don't have to change. I love you right here. You don't have to be better. You don't have to you're, you're loved exactly where you're at and God has you exactly where you're meant to be. So, um, sometimes, you know, people don't always get to the other side. We're kind of in it and you sometimes. So being able to wake up, be happy, be loved, give love and enjoy life, even when you're in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right in the middle of it. Well, thank you both for being on the podcast today. I can't wait to read your book and to share it. And I think it's, it's, just, you know, for me having a passenger seat or kind of a long, I just to watch what you're creating and who you're becoming in the process is just incredible and beautiful. And it's what life is really all about. So thanks guys are both so special, special friends. So thank you for doing this. Thanks Jeff. Having us. Thanks for joining me today on the HeartStrong podcast. You know, I'm on a mission to help people live full and purposeful lives. So if one of these episodes has spoken with you, will you help spread the word by subscribing, leaving a review and sharing an episode that you love with a friend? I know your time is precious. So thank you for sharing with me today. And just a reminder before I go, your life and story have great purpose. Don't forget it. I'll talk to you soon.